uh, th this is the impact. And, uh, you know, we see these bad decisions made in Washington, D.C., and they do have this impact. And there aren't a whole lot of people, I, I think, telling your story in Washington, D.C. Governor, besides affecting the communities that would have benefited from this oil and gas, uh, these leases, how else does this affect your state? Well, it, it, it affects our coffers. I mean, we are an oil state, so we get a lot of our revenue from oil, mainly on the North Slope. Um, and when uh, uh, you get local plays, for example, that are impacted, it, it oftentimes drives individuals that uh, would have otherwise benefited from a local oil play or a local, uh, local uh, gas or mining play. It drives those individuals from having a great job, oftentimes paying well over $100,000 a year, to government programs. So it's a double whammy to the state. On the one hand, when you don't have a development that's happening, there's less money going to local communities, there's less money going to the state. But then there's more of a draw on state services to provide for those folks. As I mentioned, many of these... Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential. And here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of American Potential. We've talked a lot about energy and we're going to talk a little bit more about it today. You know, back in October, we released an episode talking about the U.S. Department of Interior canceling the oil and gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, or ANWR, because bureaucrats in the department said there were serious flaws in the 2021 lease sale. Now, these lease sales were actually passed by Congress in the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and were law. They were enacted by the will of the Congress of the United States, accountable to the citizens. And Biden, the Biden administration, unlawfully then canceled them. Now, the flaw these bureaucrats stated was because it was done under the Bureau of Land Management instead of it being done under the National Environmental Policy Act or NEPA. Now, remember, Congress elected by the citizens of the United States, passed these leases. So they intended the leases to happen. So how does canceling these leases affect not only the state of Alaska, but the indigenous communities that would have benefited from these oil and gas leases? Were these communities even able to have their voices heard before this decision was made? Well, today... We have Alaska's governor, Mike Dunleavy, and Nagaruk Harcharik, who is the president of Voice of the Arctic Inupiaq, on to talk about this issue. Governor, thank you. Nagaruk, thank you. All right. Well, thanks for, for joining us. Governor, first of all, I've come up to Alaska and fished a couple of times with you, and it seems like you always catch a bigger fish than I do on the Kenai River. Can you explain how that works, Governor? Well, Jeff, you just you have to know what lure to use. <laughs> okay. You have to know how to fish. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of big fish up here to catch. Uh, yes. You just may have had a bad run, as they say. So keep coming okay. up, and um, we'll make sure those uh, you know scuba divers have a big fish waiting for you and put it on your line <laughs> so you can feel good about that coming to Alaska. Is is that what they do for the governor? Is that I mean, are you telling oh, me what certainly. the secret is for the governor? Certainly, I, I got to be able to come out there with a big fish. So uh, I got people that do that, Jeff. No, that's right. Uh, you've caught big fish, and you know that you've had. Fun I have. We talk. I have. I I have a ton of fun. Now the bears, though, 
every time I go up and I say, Governor, look at this big bear that I was able to shoot. And you always seem to shoot a bigger bear than me too. So I don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's governor's it's prerogative, luck. right? It's just luck, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, thank, thanks for being with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, governor, let's go to you first. Talk a little bit about Alaska's approach uh, to energy and what makes your state different from other energy producing states. Well, there's a number of things that make Alaska different. Um, when we were not going to be allowed to become a state unless we collectivized all of our resources under the sovereign. And the reason for that is because at the time we had a small population. We have a, we have a state that's larger than some, some, some subcontinents. We used to have four time zones here. It's massive. And so when we became a state, we were about 175 to 200,000 people. And uh, many of the federal government didn't think we could pay our way. So they were concerned that if we, uh, uh, if we took a different approach to uh, uh, developing our resources, it may not work. So they compelled us in the Statehood Act uh, to be able to have all of our resources under the sovereign. And so unlike a Texas, which the landowner, the rancher, uh, very different state. Those are the sovereigns. In Alaska, you have one main sovereign. Now, um, the native corporations, which uh, Nugrick will be able to talk about here in a moment, they also have title to their lands and the resources underneath their feet. And so a little different in Alaska than other states with regard to this. But in terms of our approach to energy, Alaska is an energy giant. Uh, similar to, in many ways, Texas. We have uh, unlimited uh, quantities of gas, basically. We have billions of barrels of oil left. We produce billions of barrels already. We have incredible amounts of uh, minerals and rare earths, strategic metal metals as well. We have the largest uh, uh, forest, forest uh, national forest in the entire country here in Alaska. We've got uh, tidal power, potentially, geothermal power, all kinds of uh, renewable power, coal, hundreds and hundreds of years of coal here as well. So. We're a giant when it comes to energy. It's just being able to uh, develop that those energy sources and uh, make sure that they're available not just for the people of Alaska, but for the people in the United States and around the world. That's a big difference that you you mentioned that the 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 state of Alaska owns the resources, right? Which is very yes. different than than in the lower forty eight, where in most states the the the, the uh, private citizen or the landowner owns that. How is that? How does that make it, uh, I guess, unique, certainly unique, but in the way that you have to go about extracting uh, the oil and gas from, from Alaska? Well, we, we have to develop. It's, it's interesting. When we did become a state, there was an understanding that we would develop. There was actually a push by the federal government through that statehood act that we must develop. We must develop our resources in order to pay our way. And so that's a, uh, that's a path that Alaska was put on. We're doing everything we can to live up to that statehood act, but also uh, as far as a mandate to our people to be able to provide cheap energy, revenue for our state to provide for schools, roads, airports, et cetera, um, wealth for our local communities as well. But um, things changed, uh, sadly so, in the 1970s, and it's gotten worse over the decades And with regard to our relationship with the federal government. Under this new administration, we've had about 56 actions against Alaska in order to stop us from producing and developing our resources. And so uh, it's making it difficult. This is not a market issue. And I want to be clear about this. It's not that we've run out of trees or run out of oil or run out of rare earths and metals, et cetera. It's, there's been a, a social engineering uh, cloud, a pall that's settled over this country and parts of the world that don't want us to develop in a certain manner certain resources 
because some people have deemed those uh, those developments to be bad in some form or fashion. Quite honestly, Jeff, it's um, it's it's causing problems not just for Alaska, but I think others throughout the world as well. Yeah. Can, now, give us some background on the oil and gas leases that the Biden administration canceled. These were actually passed by Congress. These were, you know, Congress said we want these uh, oil and gas leases done. Uh, give us some of the background. Yeah. So in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of uh, 2017, under um, under President Trump, Anwar was opened up as part of that uh, part of that bill. And, you know, we have about 19 million, or excuse me, yeah, we have about uh, 19 million acres in Anwar, eight of which is off the table for resource development. But that means about 11 million acres are on the table, always have been on the table for resource development, especially oil and gas. And so with that Jobs Act, we went out, um, the federal government, I should say, went out, sold leases. Um, during that process, there, was a, there, were, there were a number of attempts to put a chill on that sale, but nonetheless, the uh, leases were sold, they were purchased, and then under the Biden administration, the Secretary of the Interior has come out and said that uh, they're not going to honor those leases. This is a clear violation of law. They're literally ignoring the law, so they're on lawsuits uh, to try to get that lease, uh, those lease developments back on track. But this is just one example. This is one of the 50-some I mentioned in terms of actions against Alaska by this administration. And so they're willing to violate the law. They're, they'll be willing to do anything to stop certain resource uh, development. Well, and again, I mean, the, the representatives of the citizens of the United States passed a law saying, and it was signed by the president of the United States, yes, basically saying that these this these leases should go forward. And then the administration comes in and says, we, we don't think we want to do that. I mean, it's direct violation of the will of the citizens of the United States and of the people of Alaska. Yes, and um, this is this is a clear example for Alaska. It should be a clear example for the rest of the country. But um, this is a, this is not a shock. It's it's unfortunate, but it's not a shock with this administration. Again, we've been dealing with this administration ever since they got into office, and it's just been one beating after another laid on Alaska by our own government. The sad part is, uh, at the same time, they uh, they're in direct conversations with Venezuela, uh, Iran, right. other parts of the world that are not our friends, and so. When this occurs, when you can't uh, you can't develop uh, your Anwar leases or you can't develop a mining play, not only does Alaska suffer because again, remember we became a, we were allowed to become a state so that we would develop our resources to help pay for our way. So we're being prevented from doing that, but it ha it hurts Alaskans, it hurts Americans, and it really hurts people around the world because if we can get more energy on the market, if we can get more resources, more metals, more minerals, it just means the costs are going to go down and um, wealth will go up and it will lift people out of poverty. And that's the other thing I want to mention is many of these resource plays in Alaska are located in rural Alaska, where some, some of our folks don't have opportunities to jobs. Some of our communities don't have opportunity for local revenue. These resource plays um, actually do that for our local people. And so it's a problem for everyone. And uh, all it does is satisfy the desires of uh, NGOs and those that uh, wish to shut down resource development throughout the world. Well, and you mentioned uh, Venezuela, Iran, and these other countries. They do not produce energy uh, as cleanly as the United States does, right? No, no, it's even worse. Uh, you take the case of Iran when the sanctions were lifted. Now, I think Iran is producing $3 billion worth of oil. The oil revenue that they're taking in um, clearly is, is funding this unrest throughout the Middle East. It's clearly doing that. And so not only are we hurting Alaskans and Americans, like I said, 
when you shut down leases such as Anwar, you enable uh, dictatorships and uh, bad actors such as Iran to enrich themselves at our expense, but also at our national security's expense as well. So it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, the rest of the world is laughing at this administration over these kinds of foolish moves. Uh, Nagaruk, can you talk about your organization, what you focus on a little bit? I uh, got hired for the Voice of the Arctic Inupiat in October of 2022. The organization was set up in 2015 by the region's uh, leadership, the North Slope of Alaska's region's leadership. Uh, you know, like Governor Dunley alluded to, small population in Alaska, even smaller on the North Slope. So the idea was to bring everybody together, um, the organizations that represent the people in the communities and regionally, bring them together as one to speak out on issues that we felt were important. Um, bringing everybody together kind of amplifies that voice, right? And that's kind of our aim. So the Willow Project, we advocated for that when the NPRA uh, new rules were proposed and in the end where our leases were were canceled, right? We were able to engage and, and bring the strength of 24 out of about 29 organizations on the North Slope down to D.C. to say, hey, look, this is what the people want on the North Slope. And not just everybody, but elected leadership on the North Slope once these projects move forward once a seat at the table, once a voice, um, when you're creating these uh, rules or canceling leases, uh, and a voice that has uh, been largely drowned out and, and not engaged um, with an administration that that touts. One of the things that we heard in D.C. was that this is the most tribally friendly administration in the history of the United States, and in our experience, uh, it, 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 it hasn't been that way. So, we bring together all of the organizations, uh, meet annually twice a year with everybody. Uh, for example, some of the other things that we're working on is we're hosting a housing workshop to try to, we're going to bring everybody together that's involved in housing on the North Slope to try to figure out how to collectively address the issues with housing on the North Slope. Um, so that's that's kind of the voice in a nutshell there. Well, Nagaruk, you know, th- there are... Uh, you know, there are impacts to these decisions that are made in Washington, D.C. Can you share about the history of the land itself and also how these oil and gas leases help the communities that you represent? Yeah, definitely. So uh, the Seward's Folly, as it's referred to, 1867, <laughs> the state, uh, the state of Alaska, the land in Alaska was was purchased. And uh, at the time, they didn't settle land claims. Um, even through statehood, 1959, when Alaska became a state, they didn't they still hadn't resolved uh, Alaska Native claims, started giving land to the state then, and it uh, really caused an uproar across uh, across Alaska within indigenous communities. Um, the uh, leadership on the North Slope, uh, pretty early on there, uh, filed for 55 million acres of land, laying claim to 55 million acres of land on the North Slope. Um, and then other uh, areas filed claims as well, uh, which led to the creation of the Alaska Federation of Natives that brought essentially the entire indigenous community across the state of Alaska together to fight for uh, land claims. It was eventually passed in 1971. The Arctic Slope Native Association that represented us on the North Slope actually voted no um, on the final uh, land claims bill and actually vetoed the pre- or wrote the president a letter to veto it at the time. We didn't feel it was going to be a just settlement just because of the uh, the way that the lands and the money was going to be distributed. Uh, it was going to be based on per capita rather than land lost. We had uh, the one of the largest claims to the most land, but the smallest population. So to us, it wasn't going to be uh, a fair and just settlement, especially because the development in Prudhoe Bay 
was a huge catalyst for the passage of ANGSA. Um, so 1971 passed, set up uh, Alaska Native Corporations, um, 12 regional corporations, actually 13 at the time, and over 200 village corporations that now owned private land. Um, because it because we felt that it wasn't going to be a just settlement and we wanted to benefit off of it, our leaders act, uh, took the initiative and, and set up the North Slope Borough um, that gave them taxing authority um, for any infrastructure that was to be developed. Since then, we have, for over the last 50 years, coexisted with resource development. We, we've utilized the economic development within the region to benefit our communities, our culture, to enhance our culture. Um, the North Slope Borough taxes the infrastructure development in the region and then reinvest those dollars into the communities, right? So they provided, um, there was massive uh, investment into the communities uh, early on to provide housing, roads, water and sewer infrastructure, schools, um, anything that your your normal city would provide, the North Slope Borough provides for on the North Slope. So that, that, that economic development has been huge for the area, um, benefiting the communities, enhancing our culture. They're the North Slope Borough's the largest employer up there, right? So without the development, without the economic development and the shrinking of that economic potential, you essentially threaten all of those things that I just mentioned, right? You threaten the communities. Without communities, you threaten our culture. If everybody leaves the North Slope because there aren't any opportunities, you, you threaten one of the oldest cultures in the world, right? And so we're trying to advocate uh, to, to ensure that our people have a future in the lands that they want to have a future at. Yeah. Well, uh, th this is the impact. And, uh, you know, we see these bad decisions made in Washington, D.C., and they do have this impact. And there aren't a whole lot of people, I, I think, telling your story in Washington, D.C. Governor, besides affecting the communities that would have benefited from this oil and gas, uh, these leases, how else does this affect your state? Well, it, it affects our coffers. I mean, we are an oil state, so we get a lot of our revenue from oil, mainly on the North Slope. Um, and when uh, uh, you get local plays, for example, that are impacted, it, it oftentimes drives individuals that uh, would have otherwise benefited from a local oil play or a local, uh, local uh, gas or mining play. It drives those individuals from having a great job, oftentimes paying well over $100,000 a year, to government programs. So it's a double whammy to the state. On the one hand, when you don't have a development that's happening, there's less money going to local communities, there's less money going to the state, but then there's more of a draw on state services to provide for those folks. As I mentioned, many of these plays are in rural parts of the state where a lot of our uh, Native Alaskans live, and um, they, benefit, uh, they benefit greatly on the slope as oil, as Narvik has said, and gas. Um, where my wife's people are from in Northwest Arctic, it's lead and zinc, it's mining, which has helped lift those people out of poverty. And that's the other story that's not being told, um, or at least not being reported. So these plays, oil on the slope, the, uh, the Red Dog Mine in Northwest Arctic, it has actually increased the life expectancy and the health of these folks. How? Well, when you have money to put into health clinics, and you have money uh, being put into better housing, better sewer and water, better education, it's inevitably going to go inc increase life expectancies and make the standard of living better for folks. And so there's this, uh, there's this inconvenient truth that when folks like Nugrick and others on the slope really tell their story as to how resource development is being managed by the people there, there's no better stewards of the land than the folks that live there. Um, and so when they tell that story about how they manage the land, but also how the resources en enhance their lives, 
the uh, the NGOs and the, um, the extreme environmentalists and others, they don't want to hear it. And many of the uh, new major news outlets don't want to report it. And so in some ways, it's a soft form of bigotry uh, on top of everything else. And um, I'm just glad that um, uh, folks on the lower slope are, uh, are, are letting their voices be heard. And um, I would challenge anyone that uh, if they believe they, they have a perception of Alaska and have never been here, to come here and go to the slope and see how the people there safeguard the environment, how the people there um, manage the wealth that they're getting from their resources and see how the people there are, how the wealth is improving their lives. Yeah. Well, and again, they care more for the land than anyone in Washington, D.C. would ever care for that land. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt about that. And you raise a good point. Not only are you not helping uh, these communities, but you're benefiting some of our enemies Yep. By not uh, developing oil and natural gas here in the United States, we're benefiting bad actors like Venezuela and Iran and some of these others and enriching them to do bad things around the world. It's hurting our national security is what it's doing as well. Yeah. So if you don't care about Alaska, I mean, that's, that's sad, but that's one thing. Right. But you should care about the country. And if you care about the country, why would you enrich Iran to fire missiles at uh, our allies, ships in the Red Sea, etc. This really makes no sense at all. And why would you uh, assist Iran in expediting the uh, production of uh, potentially nuclear weapons? It makes no sense. And so there's lots of energy potential in this country. If we just tap into it, uh, we would be uh, we would have wealth beyond our wildest dreams. Our life expectancies, our health uh, would improve. You would have funding for schools, roads, public safety. And uh, we wouldn't have to rely on these bad actors. It's a win-win-win across the board. And when you don't do this, the environment loses, our, our, our national security loses, our local folks lose in terms of no jobs, our local communities lose in terms of less money for schools, roads, clinics, that sort of thing. So it makes no sense to me that we would have a national government, this administration, that would want to do everything they possibly could do to make sure that we're producing here in America. Makes no sense at yeah. all. Yeah. Nagaruk, uh, was your community able to have their voice heard before these leases were canceled? I mean, they say they care about Native communities. Were, were you able to have any uh, input into the decisions here? Yeah, they, they say that they do, and they, they write a lot of nice words into, uh, you know, administrative memos coming directly from Biden. Uh, the White House National Strategy, Strategy for the Arctic Region has has really nice words talking about consultation and the value of indigenous uh, indigenous voices, and uh, no, right? There was aside from, you know, when when Willow was first approved, and the record of decision came out, and they announced essentially that you know we're going to approve this, but there's going to be uh, rules for NPRA, right? That was about as as much forewarning as we got. But since from that time to when they uh, came out with the record of decision, the lease cancellations, there was zero communication from the federal government um, leading up to that to see how we felt about it. Um, any of that, zero, none. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, when they came out, we 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 went on four or five trips to Washington, D.C. between uh, September and uh, the end of November was my last trip to D.C. just to try to get answers. Um uh, BLM Alaska was saying that D.C. is making the decisions, so we go talk to DOI and D.C. Uh, they say that the White House is making the decisions, we go talk to the White House. White House says, no, absolutely not, it's DOI making the decisions. Then we go back to DOI, and DOI says that Alaska or the, the Alaska BLM officer, the experts, 
um, and everything Alaskan. So we're, we're taking them. So we just got this runaround um, that, that was uh, pretty impressive to say the least. Um, and still are, are waiting for some answers. Although uh, since all of that advocacy, they have engaged and, and done some formal consultations. It got to the point too, they, they did a quick meeting in Barrow uh, a few months back. Um, and we all advocated for them to get it rescheduled because we were on our way back from DC. We got like two days notice for this meeting. Um, they said, no, that they're not going to reschedule it. And on the record in Barrow, they said that the reason that they didn't reschedule was because a member of the press was going to be there. Um, I actually spoke to that person and they were not happy that, that they were being used as a scapegoat. Um, so it's been, it's, it's been quite impressive, uh, the, the way that they're, they're trying not to listen to the people that are in that go against their agenda, so to speak, right? At least that's the feeling that we're getting. Right. Um, and it, it's quite tiresome. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're bureaucrats. They must know better than the people who actually live there, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Uh, Governor, what's what's next? What's what are the next steps here? Well, um, to be honest, we uh, we hope and pray that 2024 brings a change to Washington. That'll be huge. Uh, for Alaska, that'll be huge for this country and for this world. To be perfectly honest with you, um, we we got to keep fighting the we got to keep fighting our own government. Unfortunately, the feds. We have to. We're we're in litigation in a number of different cases. Uh, Anwar is one of them. To be able to do what we were compelled to do in order to become a state, and that's develop our resources. That's what Alaska. That's how why Alaska became a state. Um, uh, they weren't going to let us become a state because they didn't feel we could pair away. We talked about this, but. We, we, we have to fight this administration. Uh, they're violating the law. We believe they're violating the spirit of the uh, Statehood Act, the uh, compact between us and the federal government. And so we're left with no choice but to, to litigate. And again, uh, go to the polls in November to make sure that uh, we've got people in Washington that are looking out for the people of America first, not just causes, not just putting people behind causes, but looking out for each and every one of us and uh, our states as well. And so if we have people in D.C. that will do that, I think we're going to have a pretty good future. Um, if for some reason uh, that doesn't work out, it's going to be a tough, tough deal for Alaska, unfortunately. But uh, our only remedy right now is the courts and be able to, uh, being able to talk with the public through uh, podcasts such as this, Jeff. So can, can people in the lower 48 or uh, other people in Alaska who might hear this, what can they do? Is there anything they can do? Can they write the Department of the Interior, you know what? the president? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they can, but they also should talk with uh, The Voice and, and, and folks like Nagaruk. I mean, he lives there. He oh. lives on top of the oil. He lives there where they're drilling. He, he's a beneficiary of what has occurred over the last several decades. He can dispel and he can uh, clarify and affirm what's really going on up there. Um, and so people, uh, if they really want to know what uh, our Alaska Native folks are thinking, just don't talk to a handful of folks. Talk to folks that are living up there like him. That's going to be, I think, a great, a big eye-opener. When I go out to rural Alaska, I spent almost 20 years in rural Alaska. As I mentioned, my wife is from a small village. When I go out and talk with folks, they want jobs. They want to be able to afford to live there. They don't want their kids moving out to uh, Anchorage or to Texas or South Dakota. They know we have the resources here. and They want to be able to develop them. So definitely um, making sure that we have pro-development responsible pro-development folks in D.C., and also making sure that any questions they have, they don't go through a second or a third party for the answers. They contact folks like, the, or outfits like The Voice uh, and others in Alaska to really see how folks live. And if they can make a trip up here, 
all the better because I think a lot of that will dispel these myths that somehow Alaska is doing harm to the environment, is doing harm to its own people. Uh, I think they'll see the opposite when they come here. Yeah. Governor, you know, Alaska is a beautiful place. Uh, I, I love, my, you know, all of my visits to Alaska. It's just such a great place. For people who haven't been there, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about why they should come visit Alaska. Well, because you, you kind of said it in a way. It's, um, it's, a, beautiful, it's a beautiful place, um, but it's a lot more than that. Um, and when you have resource development, a lot of times uh, uh, this, this idea has been planted in people's heads that when you have resource development, that means you destroy the environment. That means you destroy the pretty place. That means uh, you can't have either or. Alaska does resource development probably better than any other place on the planet. And for those people, when they come here to Alaska and they love it, they think it's beautiful and, quote, they want to you know, keep it the same. What they need to realize is if you don't do the resource development here in Alaska, there's, the demand will still be there. It'll be not overseas or in other places where they don't care about the environment. They don't care about child labor. They don't care about minorities uh, being imprisoned. They don't care about uh, uh, underwriting dictatorships or tyrannical governments. That's what you do when you stop resource development in places like Alaska. On top of that, of course, you don't have revenue for schools, clinics, roads. Your, your, your standard of living is not going to keep growing. Your, uh, your, your health uh, and life expectancy probably won't keep growing. So this, this unbridled idea that uh, no or none is, is best for Alaska, best for this country, if you really think about it, the facts tell a different story. You really want to do it here and you want to do it well. So you want to do it here. And that's what I hope the uh, people take away when they come up to Alaska. Right. Okay, Governor. Thank you. I appreciate it. Nagaruk, if I came to Alaska, would you let me catch a bigger fish uh, than the governor? I, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had the skills that probably the governor does here. But uh, <laughs> on the North Slope, I'm used to stringing out a gill net, and that's how we catch the fish. Um, so it's a little little bit more efficient. But yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll let you, and if it feels big, I'll hand it hand you the hand you the rod. <laughs> We're gonna get you a big fish, Jeff. We're gonna get you a big one. That sounds good. I'm just teasing you, Governor. I catch nice yeah. big fish up in Alaska for sure. <laughs> hey, thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate right. the time. You bet. So you can imagine how frustrating this is for the people of Alaska. I mean, energy is really the lifeblood, has been the lifeblood of the Alaskan economy for decades now. Uh, these leases were passed, as, as we've talked about in this episode, were passed by the people elected to the United States Congress. Congress intended these leases to be done. And for them to go forward. And I might add that the president of the United States at the time signed that bill into law. That's the way our system should work. But yet the Biden administration, with its literal war on energy, decided that it was going to come back and cancel the leases, but but cancel the will of the people of, of Alaska. And you you've seen how they don't seem to care about how this impacts people, hardworking people in Alaska, people who in, in many cases are barely getting by what the economic impact is to the Inupiat people as well as the citizens of Alaska. This is bureaucracy run amok, unfortunately. And it's, it's, it is why these bad policies, we have to end these bad policies. 
Congress needs to hold the Biden administration accountable for canceling these leases. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us on American Potential. You can always send me an email, jeff at americanpotential.com. Would love to hear from you. And remember, you can always watch these. I know lots of people listen to these podcasts on uh, their favorite podcast platform, but you can also catch it on YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel, American Potential. So if you just go to YouTube and type in American Potential, you can follow us right there and you that channel will come up. You can get all the latest episodes of American Potential in full video. So, hey, thanks for joining us. Go out there, defend liberty and freedom, defend economic prosperity. And for goodness sakes, how can we not defend it for the citizens of Alaska as well? Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com. Potential.com.